0: Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. You know, every year there seems to be a gift that seems to be the hot gift. I I remember back when our kids were little. It's. I think it started with the Elmo, Elmo, or something. And uh, anyway, uh, it just seems like every year there's something. Well. Amongst adults, anyway, uh, I, I've come to understand that the one of the hot gifts that actually st- it was it was really big last year and again this year is uh, DNA uh, test kits. Uh, <laughs> what? I, yeah, I'm, I was shocked. I was I was like, wow, really. Uh, <clears throat> So I, I actually went online and started doing a little research. And, and yeah, it's a huge thing. Uh, <clears throat> people, I guess, want to know where they come from or something. I don't know. Uh, I, I've i even actually thought about doing it. I just won't spend the money. I just <laughs> I'm just i a cheapskate, I guess. But but anyway, I came across an article written by MIT. Uh, and, and it says this. The number of people who have had uh, their, their DNA analysis with uh, direct-to... Uh, consumer genetic genealogy test more than doubled during 2017 and now exceeds 12 million according to industry uh, estimates. Most of these tested are in the US suggesting uh, that uh, around 1 in 25 American adults who have uh, access to personal genetic data uh, a figure that could spur a range of new genetic analysis services. The boom comes amid the price uh, the the price war in which companies offer under $60 testing and two for one deals, uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 end of year blitz uh, advertising and discounts. So if you if you want the latest gift for somebody, give them a DNA test. Uh, <laughs> but, um you know DNA is a really good thing it it is it is uh, helped solve uh, crimes uh, <clears throat> excuse me it's it's reunited families. Uh, I think one of the coolest things that it's done is it's identified uh, soldiers uh, who have been were, were killed on on the battlefield uh, and different things like that. Uh, you know there there there's a lot of really good things that have come out of it. But what did we do before we had DNA testing? We kept records. We called it genealogy. And uh, uh, genealogy uh, has been something that has been around since uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, Yeah, the Bible. Uh, the, The Bible actually is, is in many ways, a book of genealogy. And <clears throat> I, I, I did some research, and the first begat, okay, do you know what the begat is in the Bible? You know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, but, you know, anyway, the first one is mentioned in Genesis chapter 4, which, to me, I, I was surprised. I, I didn't realize that it, 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 it was like that. But the truth is, I don't believe there's one person in this room that when you when you pick up your Bible and you want to read something inspiring or or something that's gonna really touch your heart, you don't normally turn to the book of Numbers. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, I, I have a sample. I just went and randomly picked some some passage out of out of numbers. And I tried to pick one where I could pronounce most of the names. But um, Numbers chapter 26, verses 41 to 43. Again, this is just a snippet to give you a a sample of what the book of Numbers is like. Uh, uh, These are the sons of Benjamin after their families. And they uh, that were numbered uh, of them were 40 and 5,600. These are the sons of Dan after their families of the uh, Shunahim. Uh, the family of the Shunammites, Uh, these are the families of Dan. And you you get the point, okay? It's just one family after another family after another. And and it's not the book that you go to when you need something from God. Does that sound carnal? No, I don't think it does. I mean, when I'm I'm feeling low or, or I just need to get along with God, I, I usually go to the book of Psalms. Yeah. Why? Because it's, it's usually something that can encourage my heart. I don't go to Numbers. I just don't. So, b- But because of that, oftentimes what we do is we fail to read the book of Numbers. Which is a mistake. Because every word of God is given for a reason. There's not a there's not a there's not a <clears throat> there's not a, a word in this book that's not there for a reason. This morning the title of my message is The Importance of Genealogy. And you're thinking, what in the world? We're gonna be in this is Christmas, and we're gonna be in numbers. No, 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 no. Didn't I tell you to turn to Luke? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I thought I did. <clears throat> Every year my family for as long as i can remember uh before we open presents and and do anything we sit down and we read the christmas story Uh, mainly uh, we we started that when our children i i don't remember if we it's my wife and i've been married 36 years and i can't remember what i had for breakfast yesterday so I don't know if we started it before we had children. I, I don't remember, but I know it was after. Okay. Well, my daughter is saying it was after. So, um, but the, the the intention of that was to help negate a lot of the world's philosophy about what Christmas is, and we wanted our emphasis on Christmas to be on on Christ. So we would spend a little bit of time before we got into the, the present thing and all that reading the Christmas story. So let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and following. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this is, and this (coughs) taxing was first made in Cyrenus. excuse me, when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. Oh, let me have a, let, let me stop here and give you a commercial. Those of you that did not come to the men's Bible study yesterday, you missed an incredible blessing because Danny was able to break down this passage and I'm telling you, you really missed a blessing. And uh, anyway, let's continue reading. And all went to be taxed, uh, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with his espoused wife being great with child. So it was that while they were there, The days were accomplished that they should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Then, lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is <clears throat> excuse me, is born this day, in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord, and it shall be a sign unto you, and ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an uh, and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask as we look at your word this morning that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to to see your love through the Christmas story. Help us, dear God, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> in all the years that I have read that story to my family, I never remember one time going to Luke chapter 3 and reading verses 23 to 38. If you want to look over there, you will see that it is a genealogy. Nor have I gone to Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 16, which is also a genealogy. See <clears throat> Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20 is what we refer to as the Christmas story is it not well, most of us would 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 probably agree with that but the in reality Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20 is only part of the story See when we forfeit the rest of the Christmas story, we are forfeiting the entire Christmas story. And the genealogy is an important part of the story. That we, because it's a genealogy, we oftentimes either don't read or or if we read it, we really don't pay attention to it. The importance of genealogy my first point this morning, why is it so important? Well, <clears throat> in a very technical sense, uh, it's important because it verifies prophecy. <clears throat> a couple examples, Matthew, or excuse me, second uh, uh, Samuel chapter seven verses twelve to thirteen. it says, "And when the days were uh, be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I shall set up thy seed after thee." which shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a prophecy in second Samuel chapter 7 that God is giving to King David that through David's lineage lineage there would be a Messiah. And it is important uh, the genealogies, if you were to go back and read these genealogies, you would find that <clears throat> that sure enough, uh, Jesus' lineage goes through David all the way back. Amen. Matthew chapter one, verses five and six, and, and, and Solomon or Solomon uh, begat Boaz, uh, Boaz uh, uh, of Rechab. And Boaz begot uh, Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse uh, begot David, the king. And David, uh, the king, begot Solomon uh, uh, of her that had been the wife of Urias. So in Matthew chapter one, we see through the, the lineage of 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 Jesus goes right through uh, through King David. So the lineage is important because it, is, it, is, it is establishes, establishes the proof of, uh, or the, not the proof, but the what's the word? Uh, anyway, it, 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 it reiterates the fact that the prophecy made in Second Samuel uh, is accurate to the, to, to the T. Uh, <clears throat> it's not only uh, prophecy, but Jesus uh, th- that Jesus would come through David, but that he would sit on the throne. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, which was prophesied 500 plus years before the birth of Christ, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace shall be uh, no end upon <clears throat> the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. And from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. And and here we see that <clears throat> because of the genealogy, we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the claims of the people who made the prophecies hundreds of years prior to the birth so it's important for that sense matthew's genealogy shows the line of joseph back to abraham okay uh, galatians chapter 3 verse 16 now to abraham and his seed where the promises made uh, he saith not and to the sea, and to seeds uh, as of many but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. So <clears throat> the seed goes the 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 uh, the the genealogy of Matthew goes from Joseph to Abraham. Luke's genealogy is Mary's genealogy and it takes it from Mary all the way back to Adam <clears throat> who is Christ's He's called the Son of God. And in order to fulfill that claim, there has to be a genealogical link between Mary and Adam. I read an interesting statistic. Those of you that know me know I love statistics. I'm a numbers guy. It helps me wrap my head around things. The Old Testament was written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, and it contains over 300 prophecies. 300 that Jesus fulfilled through his life, death, and resurrection. So from the time Jesus was born to the time Jesus' resurrection, there were 300 prophecies fulfilled, and he didn't miss one. Okay, And this is critical because out of all of the prophecies that were made, every single one of them was fulfilled over 300 the <clears throat> some some scientist i don't know who did it a mathematician <clears throat> did ran the numbers and for a single person to fulfill eight prophecies just eight is one I, I can't even, I don't even know what the number is. Anyway, it's one with seventeen zeros behind it. okay that that's just eight prophecies. The same mathematician figured it out if he had done if he had fulfilled forty eight prophecies it, it, it is one chance in ten to the to one fifty seventh power. So that is one with 157 zeros behind it. That's that's the odds of one person being able to fulfill 48 prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled 300 plus and didn't miss one. Only the Son of God could do that. See, genealogy is important because it proves genealogically that Jesus was the Messiah. And the the Jews needed that proof in order to believe. The second thing I want to talk about, and this is where to me it gets a little bit more passionate, is who are the people in the genealogy? Point number two, who are the people? Between the two genealogies in Matthew and in Luke, there are 98 names. There are 41 in Matthew and 57 in Luke. All 98 names represent 98 individual people, plus their spouses and their children and offspring and so on and so forth. So literally, by the time you do the math, it's millions of people. But for the, the sake of argument tonight, uh, this morning, we're, we're talking about 98 names. And as I started thinking about it, and I started looking at these two genealogies, all of a sudden I realized that it's not just a bunch of names, but these are real people with real faces. And, and I started thinking about this, this group of people and, and <clears throat> I, it, it dawned on me, every single one of them was a sinner. Every single one of them had problems like you and I have. Every single one of them had good days and had bad days. 98 people just like you and me. Let's look at Adam for a second. You know what Adam Adam was <clears throat> well let, let, let's see what uh, Paul calls him in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was it, was in the transgression. So so what is what does Paul tell us in, in 1 Timothy about Adam a, Adam and Eve? He basically he tells us, look, Eve was tricked. She was was guiled by the serpent, was she not? But Adam chose to sin. The lineage goes all the way back to Adam. And Adam was a sinner just like you and me. See, he chose to sin just like you and I choose to sin. What about Abraham, the father of Judaism? He was a scoundrel, to put it lightly. He told his wife to lie and tell everybody that... that. Well, let me read it. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. And it came to pass when he, Abraham, came near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai uh, his wife, Behold, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians see thee uh, that they shall say this, uh, uh, this is his wife and they shall kill me, uh, but they shall save thee alive. In other words, what, it, what was Abraham saying? Abraham said, look, you're so pretty. When we get down to Egypt, they're going to kill me if they find out that you're my wife. So I want you to lie and tell them that we're cousins. What a coward. And this guy is in the, is in the lineage of Christ. Jacob was a liar and a thief. David was an adulterer and a murderer and, and a whole lot more. In in Matthew's genealogy, he he mentions four women, which which you have to understand uh, when when, when, uh, the the majority of the New Testament was was written, women in genealogy meant nothing. It was all about the the, the seed of the man. So the fact that four women are mentioned in in this genealogy is, is quite something. But let's look at these four women. We have Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth. Not one of them was a Jew, they were all Gentiles, they were all non Jews. And not only that, but three of the four were implicated in sexual immorality. Not a very clean genetic line, is it? The incredible thing about this genealogy, both of these, well, in Matthew and Luke, the incredible thing that struck me recently is the love of God. Amen. The love of God. See, did Jesus ever sin? No. no. No, the Bible says that he was tempted just like you and I are tempted without sin. But, and, and please get a hold of this because this is the whole crest of the message. Jesus, who never sinned, was born into a family of sinners. Wrap your head around that one. See, the genealogy of of Jesus is a demonstration of the love of God. Because the love of God and the forgiveness of sin is woven through and through the genealogies. Second Corinthians chapter five verse twenty-one, for he hath made him to be sin for us, to whom knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As I read through these two genealogies, I, I, started, to, I started to this morning to read the two genealogies, and, and there are so many names in there I can't pronounce. I said, yeah, I ain't doing that. <clears throat> but I, I, I want to encourage you go home this afternoon and, and read through the genealogies and I, I want you to do what I did I want you to see how many of the names you recognize and, and, and if you're like me you, you will recognize the name here and there but the majority of the people to be perfectly honest as I was reading through they were just names I have no idea who they are. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly comforting. Not only was Jesus born into a family of sinners, but he was born into a family of nobodies. Now, yeah, along the way, there were, there were quote-unquote famous people that, but I, I mean, most of us probably have that in our past. We don't know. Some of us maybe, I don't know. Mark chapter 2, verse 15, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat with his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Who did Jesus, when he was on earth, who did Jesus spend time with? Sinners. He didn't spend time with the religious crowd. In fact, it, 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 there's there's two categories of people here that are identified. The first one are the publicans. And and if you had been at the Bible study yesterday, you'd have found out that the publicans were the Jewish tax collectors. And the people hated them. And then the, the word sinners doesn't mean sinners in the context that we know sin sinners. It, it, it literally means the non-religious. So who was Jesus spending time with? Those he was that those that needed him. <clears throat> Mark chapter two, verses six and seven. This is, this is what Jesus thought about the people that he spent time with. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, in other words, the religious crowd, oh, they got all huffed up. And they said unto unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? In other words, what they're saying is, How dare he go to eat dinner with people that are not us? That's what they're saying. When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus was more interested in, in spending time with the common man than with the religious crowd. That's who Jesus came to spend time with. So who are these people in Jesus's lineage? The people in Jesus's lineage were people like you and me. A few famous people, but for the most part, they were just normal people. And then number 3. What can what can I learn from all of this? Cuz that's what I asked myself. I I was sitting and reading this and I'm I'm going through there and God's kind of formulating all this in my mind and and I started thinking, okay, well, this is good, but what, what can I take away from it? Well, I'm glad you asked. And this is what I came away with. Four very precious words. Jesus loves the sinner. Amen for that. That list of 98 names represents 98 sinners. That needed a Savior. Just like you and I need a Savior. Thus, Jesus loves me. What? <clears throat> Yesterday, or no, no, I'm sorry, back up. Friday, Friday was my day to go out to the Lovelock prison. And <clears throat> generally, what happens is when I get out there, I go to the guard house or the gatehouse and I, I fill out the paperwork and they search me and look through my Bible, make sure I'm not smuggling anything in. And it's a process to get through. And <clears throat> before I leave the, the, the gatehouse there's a lock a locked door and then immediately following is a gate, which immediately following is another gate. So when when I get all processed through the the gatehouse before he opens the door most of the time he picks up a little radio and he radios to someone in the prison I don't know who I'm hoping it's the guys in the towers looking down with the guns and they and he says something to the effect well this is what he said last Friday he, he said he called someone or something, and then he said, <clears throat> then he said, religious volunteer leaving gatehouse, proceeding to the chapel. And again, I, I'm hoping it's the guys in the towers with the big guns that's listening because I don't want to get shot. <clears throat> and then I go through the process and I make my way to the chapel and, and so on and so forth. I hate that because of what he said. He called me a religious volunteer. Now I understand why he does that. I hate it when people refer to me as being religious because Christianity is not religion. It is relationship, and and I understand because, in a very technical sense, because I, I I volunteer at the chapel and so on, I am a quote unquote religious volunteer. I get that. It just it bugs me every time I hear it. Because what did Jesus think of the religious crowd? Let me let me share with you what Jesus what Jesus's opinion of the religious crowd was. Well, before I read this, let me ask you, did Jesus love the religious crowd? Yes, he did. He loves all of us equally. He hates religion because of what it does to people. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye are not like unto, uh, excuse me, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That's what Jesus thought of the religious crowd. He loved them as individuals, but he hated the religion because the religion has this facade on the outside. And Jesus likened it to a sepulcher, and the sepulcher was, was where they would put dead, dead people. Uh, I started to say dead people after they died. Well, that, that's kind of redundant, okay? <laughs> wow. Wow. Good English, uh, but that's what, that's where that's where that's where they would put their their dead, and they would they would paint them and they would decorate them and they would they would look beautiful on the outside, but the truth was on the inside it was nothing but a bunch of dead bones, and that's what religion does. Religion gives us a facade, and one of the things that that I as a pastor the one thing that I want to do is I want to be transparent and I want to be real. I don't want to be religious. And Jesus demonstrates that by who He spent time with. Jesus spent time <clears throat> excuse me, with the sinners and the publicans. He spent time with the people who needed Him. The, the reality is the religious crowd didn't need Jesus because they had their own Righteousness but it was the sinners, it was the people that Jesus spent time with that needed a Savior. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a theologian, okay? I, I'm not. And, and I'm sure that there would be theologians that would argue with what I'm about to say, but this is just what I believe. If you take this entire book, The entire book and boil it down to one verse, it would be Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. To me, that's the Christmas story. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The truth is, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And that Savior came as a gift in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to get to know you. Just as he sat with, with, with the publicans and sinners, if, if he were here on earth today, he would want to sit and eat, have dinner with you too. But he wants to get to know you. And I started asking myself again, okay, so what can I learn from all of this? Not only that Jesus loves me, but we can learn of his unconditional love. Unconditional love. That means that it it does not matter what any of us have ever done or ever going to do. God loves you. What a precious, precious thought that an almighty God who sent his son to this earth, was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in, a, laid in a manger, would live 30 plus years here on earth, would die on a cross for you and for me. That's an in, that is an unconditional love that, quite honestly, I don't understand. But his desire for us is to demonstrate that same love. Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God committeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Christ died for us before we even knew we needed a Savior. But this is where it gets hard. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. What is the commandment of God here? The commandment of Jesus Christ is this. We need to love others the way Christ loved us. Ouch. That's tough. But see, if you're going to understand, if you're going to try and wrap your head around what Christmas really is about, you need to, you cannot get away from the idea of unconditional love that has been poured out on you and that you need to pour out on others. Because is that not the greatest gift? Chuck Swindoll, some of you may have recognized his name. He's a prolific writer. He wrote this. He says, some gifts you can give this Christmas are beyond monetary value. Mend a quarrel. Dismiss suspicion. Tell someone I love you. Give something away anonymously. Forgive someone who has treated you wrong. Turn away... Wrath with a soft answer. Visit someone in a nursing home. Apologize if you were wrong. Be especially kind to someone to whom you work. Give as God gave to you in Christ. Without obligation or announcement or reservation or hypocrisy. What an incredible challenge to us. What is the importance of the genealogy? The the, the importance of genealogy is the fact that it represents 98 people just like you and me who needed a Savior. The perfect Son of God was born into a family of sinners. I trust this morning that if you have Experienced the gift of Jesus Christ, that if you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, that you will, during this Christmas season, learn to exercise unconditional love. But if you have never received the gift that Christ has given to you, let me challenge you. Don't leave. Don't leave this morning without knowing for sure. One of the interesting things about a gift is a gift is only a gift if it's accepted. I contemplated this morning, you know, going out and buying something and wrapping it into a box and and then and then giving it to somebody this morning and and and, uh, and but not you know not letting you open it. <laughs> that would that wouldn't be much of a gift, would it? Or if I or if I if I gave gave you a gift with a with a string attached, okay yeah, okay here I'll give you this Bonnie, I'll pick on Bonnie this morning. Okay Bonnie, I'm going to give you this box and but but you have to give me something in return. That's not a gift, is it? See a gift is given and received with no strings attached. We're going to actually be talking about that tonight in fact. But I knew just as soon as I, I brought a a single present in here and I gave it to someone, someone else would well he didn't give it to me. So that's that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> What have you done with the gift? Because really Christmas that that's what this is all about. The gift the true gift. Don't allow the hustle and bustle of the season rob you from the gift of love. If you've never asked Christ in your heart, do it today. If you have, allow that love to be transferred through you to a world that desperately needs it let me close with this John chapter 3 verse 17 world but that the world through him might be saved Amen. let's pray dear Lord thank you for this day thank you for your